Bank earnings disappoint, retail sales fall. We go over the biggest analyst calls of the day. Netflix is raising pricing once again. The casinos rally and FTX launches a venture fund, as well as the biggest headlines of the week. This is the Running With The Money weekly recap. Let's get into it. And we're back and welcome to another episode of the Running With The Money weekly recap powered by, of course, Pounding The Table. Now, we got to get right into what in the world is going on within the markets. Now, at the close, we have the Dow Jones down 201 points, NASDAQ up 86, and the S&P 500 up just about three points. Pretty much a choppy day across the board when it comes to NASDAQ and S&P. You saw a little bit more downside when it came to the Dow, but really not much. A very choppy day across the indexes. Now, shifting, of course, into the biggest headlines of the day, it was the bank earnings this morning. They created quite a bit of volatility there for a few minutes, and we're going to shift right into what in the world uh, these bank earnings were. What did J.P. Morgan have to say? What did Wells Fargo and Citigroup have to say? So we're going to get right into that right now. So we're going to start with J.P. Morgan's fourth quarter, and what in the world is going on with the mega bank? I like to call them mega banks because they're so damn big, but either way, shifting into it, we had earnings per share of $3.33. That was above the estimate of $3.01 for J.P. Morgan's fourth quarter. They delivered revenue of $30.35 billion, and that was slightly over the estimate of $29.9 billion. Now, it is important to note that pretty much revenue was unchanged at that point. $35 billion mark. So when it came to actual revenue growth, when it came to actual growth here, there wasn't much on the revenue front. Now, shifting in to expenses, and this is where it started to get a bit nasty. They did report higher than expected expenses, which therefore um, created a 14% decline in those Q4 profit numbers. Uh, so they delivered a fourth quarter profit of $10.4 billion, um, given uh, a significant increase in expenses, a 14% decline in profit there. So that is definitely something to note, and investors did not like that, and that is probably why you saw um, the pretty darn negative reaction when it came to J.P. Morgan's earnings. Now, you really dig into this here, and J.P. Morgan, they did note in their release of earnings that it did indeed take a $1.8 billion net benefit from the releasing of reserves for loan losses that indeed never materialized. So that was a uh, net bonus, you could say. And without that, without that little boost there, it attributed $0.47 cents to their EPS. So earnings per share would have actually been $2.86 per share. So that is definitely something to note there. Now, we did get commentary out of management, specifically CFO Jeremy Barnum, and he really didn't say much that was encouraging. In fact, he said that he expects the bank is going to face some headwinds in the future, and that's definitely not a net positive, um, basically due to uh, higher expenses and a moderating Wall Street revenue, according to him. Now, finally, we're going to note on net interest income, because that is indeed, um, according to CNBC and JP Morgan, uh, probably going to hit roughly $50 billion this year. And that is a gain of $5.5 billion for 2021. So overall, the estimates were beat, but definitely not what investors were looking for. Now, shifting into Wells Fargo's fourth quarter, what in the world 
did Wells Fargo deliver here? And they didn't do all too bad. They delivered an adjusted earnings per share of $1.25. And uh, then they uh, beat the estimate of $1.13 when it came to that EPS. Now, it's also important to note revenue came in at $20.856 billion. That topped the estimate of $18.824 billion. So a pretty solid beat there when it came to revenue. Net income up 86% to $5.75 billion. It's an increase of $3.09 billion. Or not an increase of $3.09 billion, but from that $3.09 billion mark a year ago. 86% increase from there brings it to $5.75 billion in total. And this was also propelled forward by a reserve release worth $875 million. And that reserve release um, was actually set aside during the pandemic, all the way back when the pandemic was raging and everyone was cooped up in their homes. Now, we did get commentary out of the company, of course, from CEO Charlie Scharf. And he went on to say, quote, as the economy continued to recover, we saw increased consumer spending, higher investment banking fees, higher asset-based fees in our wealth and investment management business, and strong equity gains in our affiliated venture capital and private equity businesses. So, not all bad coming out of Wells Fargo. Actually, pretty darn good for the bank. Now, shifting in to share repurchases real quick, I do want to note on this. In the fourth quarter, they repurchased 139.7 million shares. That comes out to roughly $7 billion. Um, and these repurchases are definitely something to pay attention to, really when it comes down to any company and any stock. Um, but I found that to be an important note that we should include. Now, shifting into Citigroup and their Q4 results, and this is the last uh, bank earnings we're going to go over before we move on from banks, but they delivered an earnings per share for Q4 of $1.46. That was above the $1.38 estimate. They also delivered revenue of $17 billion, which was slightly above the $16.75 billion expectation or estimate. So not all too bad there. Now, if you take a look um, when it comes to their global consumer banking business and revenue, revenue there actually declined 6% year over year to $6.94 billion. And really the big negative that came out of this earnings release for Citigroup was net income dropping 26% to $3.2 billion. Now, management did cite a few things here. They cited significantly increasing expenses, and they also cited um, a pre-tax impact from the sale of its consumer banking business over in Asia, and that came out to be roughly $1.2 billion of that pre-tax impact. So that is definitely something to note when it comes to um, net income expenses, etc. Now, to round out their earnings, Citigroup, they did report an 18% year-over-year increase in total operating expenses, so that's really not great there. When it comes down to expenses, you don't want to see those expenses blow out, but they definitely blew out here, um, moving higher by 18%, and that likely dug into that net income um, and resulted in that net income drop of 26%. Ouch. Now, Finally, a final note on Citigroup here for the year of 2021, they doubled net income. They nearly doubled their net income. Um, and now you compare it to 2020 and it came all the way up to $21.95 billion. So nearly doubling their net income. And also um, they take a look at full year revenue here, or we take a look at full year revenue. And what we see is that actually full year revenue declined by 5% to $71.88 billion. 
$1,000. So that is something to note there. Definitely not outstanding stuff coming out of Citigroup, but it's not the worst of the worst um, we have seen in earnings. Now, shifting into retail sales dropping. Yes, that was a major headline of today as well. Debatably, um, greater than the bank earnings themselves. But you take a look at these retail sales and the data showing that indeed retail sales fell in the month of December. Now, you take a look at the report and it showed a decline of 1.9%. That's much worse than the Dow Jones estimates for a 0.1% drop. They also went back and they revised the November numbers and that was revised to a 0.2% gain from a 0.3% increase. So they also revised those down. Now, if we go back to the December metrics here, you see that excluding auto sales or autos, sales fell 2.3%, so a much more sizable metric there, and the estimate on that was actually a 0.3% rise. So um, definitely retail sales coming in below expectations, definitely nothing anyone wants to see, um, and it's definitely not a net positive for the market. Now, shifting into the biggest analytics, calls of the day we had loop reiterating apple as a buy the firm went on to say quote we're raising our price target to 210 dollars from 165 dollars as we believe apple is positioning for both iphone unit and average selling price upside to street importantly we believe this translates into iphone and overall apple revenue growth potential of 10 to 15 percent after coming off a very strong 2021 of 25 percent each so it's very interesting there you take a look at what loop is calling here and in essence they're saying look earnings are going to grow we believe in the company and therefore we're reiterating apple as a buy now shifting into goldman sachs reiterating netflix as neutral the firm goes on to say quote while we remain highly confident in a strong content slate with that trend beginning in q4 of 2021 we see content as less of a dramatic driver of gross addition trends in coming quarters and likely an element of the broader industry pricing and competitive dynamics that could contribute to a mix of rate of change in revenue and margin trends in the years ahead. So Goldman Sachs starting to say that, look, given all of this increased competition and all of these streaming platforms, we really don't think the way things are going. And according to our analysis here, that that big content slate is going to be as much of a driver um, for new subs anymore. So a very interesting call out of Goldman Sachs, reiterating Netflix as neutral. Now, shifting into another analyst call here at RBC Capital Markets, they did indeed downgrade Ford today to sector perform. Now, Ford has been a hot name over the course of the past few months. So what in the world did RBC have to say about Ford? They go and say, quote, Ford's turnaround is well underway, and we believe they can continue the transform towards an EVAV software world. Price target $26, but near term upside looks a little more challenging. So moving to the sidelines for now. So in essence, all they're saying here is, look, we're still bullish. We believe they can make this massive technological transition, but we think it's a bit stretched in the short term and it's probably not going to go straight up um, to that 26 level. Now, we also had Gunningham downgrading Disney to neutral today. They go on to say, quote, we are lowering our rating to neutral from buy and price target to $165 from $205 on Disney shares, reflecting our updated view of the pace of profit growth at the company's direct-to-consumer and parks businesses, which is now below consensus for fiscal 2024. So, 
Gunningham not liking what they see in the numbers when it comes to Disney, and therefore they're downgrading it to neutral. We also had J.P. Morgan reiterating Disney as a top pick today, though. So, very interesting. We're going to get both sides of this argument. J.P. Morgan goes on to say, quote, We believe that investors should look past lighter first-half 2022 Disney Plus subscriber editions and near-term noise at the legacy businesses due to COVID-19. As we expect a reacceleration of sub-growth into the second half of 2022 and forward 2023, as well as the broader recovery of the legacy businesses with parks ramping back to pre-COVID margin levels in F23. So some very interesting stuff coming into JP Morgan, basically saying that, look, they're going to recover. They're going to have a strong recovery, and therefore we are bullish on the name. Reiterating it, a top pick for the year. Now, shifting into Cohen, naming Marvell and Micron top picks for 2022. Cohen goes on to say, quote, sentiment has improved, but we remain favorably disposed to memory, integrated circuits, and storage hardware into 2022. Valuations are inexpensive relative to broader semis. Storage hardware names offer attractive dividend yields, and controllers remain in tight supplies. So, Cohen, very much liking Marvel and Micron within the semiconductor space throughout the year. And then our final analyst call of the day was Bernstein, naming one of the most loved stocks out there, Amazon, a top pick. Bernstein goes on to say, quote, but at the end of the day, the Amazon story is simple, which speaks volumes, whereas it may take me a while to explain the metaverse and why I like meta, I see Amazon as a share gainer in e-commerce, possibly surpassing Walmart and U.S. sales, despite a continued shift in consumer spending to services and experiences. So Bernstein, in essence, saying, look, guys, the story is clear on Amazon. They're going to continue to lead e-commerce, and therefore we like the company, and they're naming it a top pick. Now, shifting away from the analyst calls, we're going to get right into Netflix raising their pricing real quick, and we just have a few quick headlines to wrap up the day here. So Netflix announced that they will be raising prices on their streaming services, so that basic plan increased by a dollar to $9.99, that standard plan now coming in at $15.49 when compared to the previous $13.99, so a slight increase there. And then, of course, the premium plan rising to $19.99 from $17.99, and that was all according to the uh, company's website, Netflix's website. Now, Prices in Canada, those also rose, and we did get a statement out of the company, and they went on to say, quote, we're updating our prices so that we can continue to offer a wide variety of quality entertainment options. So in essence, maybe the argument here is, you know, the more you pay, the better content and more content we can put out. Um, kind of an interesting argument by Netflix, but this is part of their longer-term strategy. They've done these price hikes in previous years, and they've laid out a strategy to continually raise price. Now, it is also worth noting that the stock reacted very positively to this news. Now, shifting away from Netflix, we're going to talk about real quick the casinos in this news with Macau um, and the regulation, really, uh, that was going to occur there. So, according to the government there on Friday, um, this was some good news for the casinos. So, what they're doing is the number of new casino operators that will be allowed in Macau will remain at six. So, it's going to stay at six. Um, and Really, the operating time or the time in which the the period they can operate within was actually halved now to 10 years, um, and that's all according to the latest news out of the government. Now, it is important note here um, that there are currently six licenses anyway, so not a huge change there. 
And this really came as a lot of casino investors, executives, people surrounding the casino world were very much paying attention to this regulation because if they decided to limit how many were there, you know, you had major names such as like a Las Vegas Sands. Um, they have quite a business over there. Um, they were worried that something was going to happen to their business. And today you saw a lot of those casino names rally back because a lot of that fear came off and really the policy or the newer policy or the policy changes, you could call it, weren't nearly as bad as what was expected. Now, according to Reuters, an executive familiar with the legislation that the Macau government did indeed Bush basically said that they decided not to go through with it and that uh, they're just basically going to keep things the same aside from a few changes. So some very interesting stuff there. Now, shifting into FTX, and this is our final headline of the day, FTX did announce that they are launching a $2 billion venture fund. This $2 billion venture fund is going to invest broadly in crypto and Web3 projects. It's going to be led by Amy Wu, who she most recently partnered with Lightspeed Venture Partners and now has joined FTX, and she's going to lead the ventures in gaming and M&A and commercial initiatives for the company. So some very cool stuff there. Now, it is important to note that this comes after FTX and Lightspeed Venture Partners as well as Solana Ventures, they all joined forces not all too long ago in November to create a $100 million Web3 gaming investment initiative. So you're seeing a lot of partnerships happen in this crypto Web3 world, a lot of investment funds being created, and FTX jumping in, creating a $2 billion venture fund. Now, to round out the show, I want to go through some of the biggest headlines of the week. So on Monday, we had a lot of rate hike talk. We had a lot of tightening talk. We had a lot of Fed talk is really what we had. We heard from Jamie Dimon, CEO of JP Morgan. He said, he wouldn't be surprised if we saw more than four rate hikes um, throughout the year. He basically said that the Fed is going to have to act in summary um, and that the economy is very strong. We heard from Goldman Sachs saying that, yeah, we're probably going to see four rate hikes and possibly some balance sheet reduction as soon as July. Um, so that kind of spooked the market and many, many big banks and big time people on the street coming out and basically being hawkish when it came to the Fed. We also had news on a take two interactive um, that they are going to acquire Zynga for $12.7 billion at a 64% premium to the previous trading day's uh, current share price. And it is important to note that on this acquisition news, you saw Take-Two Interactive trade to the downside. Meanwhile, Zynga trading to the upside. The commentary really out of Take-Two CEO was, quote, we are trying to build a business over a very long period of time. We paid attention to creating value for our players, for our colleagues, and for our shareholders. And that's worked out over a very long period of time. Now, shifting into Tuesday's biggest headlines of the day, we heard from Fed Chair Jerome Powell in front of the Senate and what he had to say. And he noted that the Fed will take further action if they need to to uh, basically slow inflation. He noted that really it's just going to be a long path to normalization when it comes to their policy. And at the same time, he kind of walked back on this balance sheet runoff by saying that no decisions have been made when it comes to balance sheet runoff and some reduction in that area. So definitely... Something to pay attention to there. Some interesting comments out of Fed Chair Powell. And if you want the full details, of course, on any of these headlines that we're briefly going through, you can go and listen to, say, the Tuesday briefing. And we go into those quotes on detail and exactly what he said um, within 15 minutes. And it's awesome because you get a very detailed briefing within a short period of time. We also had a judge granting the FTC 
Another shot at their antitrust case against Facebook. Facebook stock really didn't react to this, but the FTC getting another shot after um, they basically amended some complaints against Facebook. Now, shifting out of Tuesday and into Wednesday, we had CPI once again indicating rising inflation, that consumer price index increasing 7% on a monthly basis, coming in up 0.5%, um, topping out on the expectations. And also you take a look at that core CPI increasing 5.5% year over year and 0.6% uh, over the previous month. So definitely is something to pay attention to there. A very hot or another hot CPI read indicating uh, rising inflation, continuing and accelerating inflation there. Also Wednesday, we heard that Apple is in talks with the MLB, according to reports. Unnamed sources, we do have to take it with a grain of salt, but according to sources, Apple and the MLB are in talks. Apple seems to be pursuing a package or a media package, that weekly media package um, from the MLB, possibly the stream, uh, through their Apple TV Plus service. We'll just have to wait and see what comes out of that. We also, on Thursday, got some more economic data, that producer price index increasing 0.2% for the month. And by the way, that measures prices received by producers of goods, services, and construction. Um, Really, it's just another economic metric uh, to measure some things there, and it measures the price received by producers of goods, services, and construction. Either way, that increased 0.2% for the month. That is way below the estimate. That was 0.4%, so pretty much half of the estimated increase. So that is something to note there. And final demand prices for food and energy both fell during the month. They actually declined 0.6% and 3.3%. We also got on Thursday jobless claims data. So in a separate report on Thursday morning, we did get those initial jobless claims numbers for the week ended January 8th. That totaled 230,000. That was above the estimate of 200,000. And it was a solid increase over the previous week's 207,000. We had continuing claims, which by the way, they do lag um, one week behind. But either way, the headline continuing claims number coming in at 194,000 to 1.56 million. That's the lowest level we've seen since June 2nd in 1973. So the labor market continues to improve. Also on Thursday, we got news on the 737 MAX coming back to China. The CAAC, or the Civil Aviation Administration of China, for uh, longer terms there, uh, basically said that, look, Boeing's changes to the 737 MAX are adequate, and they uh, actually pushed out a statement to airlines in China saying, look, you guys got to get ready. These planes, that can fly. Um, So definitely a big-time catalyst for Boeing stock, and the stock reacted very positively to that. And then a headline out of an aerospace name, Virgin Galactic, announcing that they will be adding $500 million in debt, of course. And, well, the stock and the investment and the investors were not happy about that news, that stock moving to the downside. But either way, that is the weekly recap. I thank you all for listening once again. Please, please, please go get my boys over at Pining the Table a listen at Pining the Table on Spotify or anywhere you listen to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts. And please also go give me and my team a listen over at Running With The Money Indie Follow at Running With The Money on Instagram and Facebook or just follow the team at Luke Denae on Twitter. Either way, easily profit, trade on, and I will see you tomorrow.